Kaiju FM. Come find your niche. Hey folks, and welcome to this episode of The Prestige, a podcast for film lovers by film lovers. Each week we pick a film, we review that film, talk about the themes and ideas that film expresses, and our thoughts on that. My name is Rob, I spent the first half of my career working in the British film industry, and New Zealand film industry, and the Indian film industry, and film industries all over the world making movies. Um, I come at things from a technical point of view, having made and studied films. My co-pilot on this journey is my dear friend Sam, who has studied the texts, the words, the books, and all these things, and is the smartest person, certainly on this podcast, and he brings the theoretical side of things. Uh, we always say he knows how things should work, and I know how they actually do. And between the two of us, we dive into the world of movies. We start the show with what else we've been watching, and we end the show with our recommendations, further reading linked to the movie of the week. So Sam, kick us off. What else have you been enjoying since our last recording? It's been a while with the New Year's and Christmas break. So, a few things. Um, there's a a sort of mini-series on Netflix that I would have enjoyed much more than I did had it not... It was It's a French series called Lupin and it's dubbed and I can't get my head around it. And I think 20 years ago I would have been absolutely fine with that, but post, like, subtitles with everything and Scandinavian crime drama and it's sophisticated subtitling i just can't get my head around it so lupin it would be great and i'm sure if i could get hold of the french version then it would be much better but it's just it's not quite there um i did want to talk about a couple of films i've seen recently um and one i want to bring up because michael bay is back excellent <laughs> he is uh, in back to the form of Armageddon and let's ignore Transformers. Um, I saw a quite. I mean, it's not absolutely amazing. It's not. It's not the best film ever made, but it's a really serviceable um, action sort of comedy thriller, and it stars Ryan Reynolds and. Melody Laurent and other people there is sort of an ensemble cast and it might be that Michael Bay has just lucked out and got good people acting in it but it seems to be really well directed and well shot and well put together and it, it's, it was just a really enjoyable film. It was called Six Underground and it's about um, people who essentially fake their own deaths in order to work off grid as mercenaries and it was, I mean, it's ludicrous, as you can tell from that plot summary. There are holes all over the place. But it was really enjoyable. And so I would thoroughly recommend that. And the second one is The Old Guard, which is based on a comic series. And stars Charlize Theron, who's very watchable. Um, and it's quite similar to Six Underground, actually. I feel like I watched 
one big film. Um, the Old Guard is about immortal to also work as mercenaries, to also exist outside of humanity, as it were. Um, also very good, The Old Guard, and one of the, I suppose, the last films produced before lockdown last year. Um, so that, that was enjoyable as well. I'm on a run of watching quite good um throwaway action films at the moment. So yes, what about you, Bob? So I caught up with a film from, I think, last year. Last year it came out. Um, quite a controversial film that got a lot of flack when it first released. Um, and that's film The Hunt. Now this is... The film tells the story of a group of liberal American elites... Um, Democrats who come together to hunt and kill uh, Republicans. Um, a group of 12 uh, deplorables, as they call them, that they kidnap to a remote manor and then continue proceed to hunt, basically, through the um, trees. So it's a bit of you know, Battle Royale, a little bit of the most dangerous game, a little bit of satire thrown in as well. Um when it came out it was verbally like on twitter denounced by donald trump um for its views it was um decried as racist it was decried as divisive and it was pushed back and moved around basically and kind of dumped out eventually in time so it's one i wanted to watch for a while and i finally got around to watching it this weekend and i will say for all of that sort of vitriol and debate around it it's mostly fine is all I'll say on it, really. <laughs> it's very much the view is that there are good people on every side, um, which hasn't aged overly well through the rest of the uh, last tw- last twelve months or the last month, really. Um, but it does it is very much looking to satire, satirize the cultural divide in America rather than satirise elites or liberals or conservatives. It's not looking at them as targets. It's looking at divide as the target, if you make sense. Uh, taken to overly extreme example. It's got Betty Gilpin from um, Glow in the main lead as one of the uh, deplorables, and she's very, very good in this. Um, and I won't talk about who else is in it because there are some surprises in it, but it's it was a good, well-made film. The violence, as you won the movie, is good. The shock and the schlock in it was very good. Um, I think some of the morals of it are tricky because it's a, trying to be a satire and it doesn't always hit that mark. It can sometimes feel awkward to watch. I'll, I'll hold my hand up and say I am, you know, I'm as liberal as they come. I'm, you know, died in the war left wing. Um, and I don't mind my style being taken mick out of. Um, and it did that well, but it missed the target sometime and became a bit awkward. It felt like it was trying to say something, but also kind of holding its hand back from saying it. Mm. The satire felt more like a distancing for them so they could hold hands and go, Oh, it's just satire. It's just satire rather than having too much to say. Um, but that being said, it was a good yarn for two hours, um, with some quite effective kills and that kind of, kind of the schlocky horror violence of it. I did enjoy. So yeah, the hunt. I have to say that being denounced by Donald Trump, I'm not sure that's the worst thing that could be said about that. No, no. Right then, folks, we are continuing with our um, final sub-season 
open of this season, then we're looking at Disney films, uh, Disney animations and their live action remakes. And we're looking this week at the original 1991 Beauty and the Beast. Walt Disney Pictures presents its all-new 30th full-length animated motion picture. Is anyone here? Mama, there's a girl in the castle. Girl. A girl! The classic story of Beauty and the Beast. He was a lonely beast, cursed by a mysterious spell. And she was the beautiful young girl who could set him and his kingdom free. She's the one! She has come to break the spell! They were two complete opposites. I don't want to have anything to do with him. She is being so difficult. Until something wonderful happened. There's something sweet. Straighten up. And almost kind. Show me the smile. But he was mean and he was coarse and unrefined. And now he's dear. You look so... And so unsure. Stupid. I wonder why I didn't see it there before. It's a story filled with fun. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I beg your pardon. Adventure. Sacre bleu. Invader. <laughs> And dozens of wonderful new Disney characters. Keep it down. Featuring six new songs from the Academy Award-winning composer and lyricist of The Little Mermaid. This holiday season, share the fun, the magic, and the music of an entertainment event you'll never forget. Disney's Beauty and the Beast. Beauty and the Beast is... I mean, does anyone need it to be explained? Um, This describes a prince who's cursed from a young age to live in a castle as a hideous monster and the enchantress who puts him under a curse curses the occupants of the castle as well. And... um, there are a couple of intruders who meet the occupants of the castle, the enchanted occupants of the castle, and it's about the love story involving one of these intruders and the beast himself, and how we can see it moving towards um, a lifting of this curse at the end. Now, I'm interested to talk about this because... I mean, I know there's a huge discrepancy between the number of times we've seen this film. This is actually the first time I've seen this film. I I was 37 and a week when I saw Beauty and the Beast for the first time. And Rob, I believe, sees it about twice a week. So, uh, Rob, Beauty and the Beast, your thoughts? Beauty and the Beast, yes. Um, So... How to talk about Beauty and the Beast. I am a big Disney fan. I always have and I've enjoyed Disney movies. They were a large part of my childhood. Um, they were a large part of what I did as a kid as a family. We would watch Disney films. We had the VHS. I still have the VHS. They're literally within reach of this desk. Um, and my era, so in the same way people have James Bond eras for the ones they watch, and then you have ones before you go into it, like you have your era. My era, this is my era. So Beauty and the Beast, the 90s is my era. This, Aladdin, Lion King, this is my era of Disney. So Beauty and the Beast is one of my favourite Disney films of all time. 
it's possibly only trumped maybe by Lion King. Um, but it certainly has my favorite Disney song of all time, which is Be Our Guest. Uh, there's an infamous, at least in my house, moment in which early on in our courtship, um, I surprised my then girlfriend by being able to sing the entire song unbidden. <laughs> um, because you have to picture this time, we were heavily in the punk scene and we were at a punk club when I did this. So it was a, a left field choice, but it's this movie is part of part of me. I have a Lumiere on my mantelpiece in the lounge of my house. Uh, light. So, yeah, I think this film's brilliant. It's hard to give it a, I don't know, dispassionate, objective review because it's I can't untwin it from my life. I can't untwin it, it from part of me in my life. I, I can quote so much movie. I can do all the songs. You know, it's it's. I literally have in front of me here a Gaston's Tavon mug that I'm drinking from. So yeah, I'm pretty deep in in this movie, Sam. I'm intrigued to know how this film plays to you, having not seen it your entire life and come into it at the age we are. This is really interesting because from the beginning, at the beginning, it started with animation. I thought that animation was quite flat and I thought, oh no, this is just re-watching The Jungle Book and being a little bit disappointed with the aesthetic all over again. Um, and by... Quite early on in the film, I didn't care about the animation. I really enjoyed this film. Yay! <laughs> um, Sorry, carry on, carry on. I mean, that's, that's all I have to say. The, yeah, I, I don't, don't want to say any more. I don't want to say anything more about your film. No, it, it, is, it is a really good film. Um, and I immediately like the setup of Belle. There's something I, I wanted to, to talk about so thematically in this film, the idea of an outsider. And often in romantic, quote-unquote, films like this, you have the love interest who is beautiful and unobtainable and fairly vanilla, I suppose. And you have the quirky outsider who is not necessarily the main focus of the film and it mm. was nice to have her the love interest of the film be the quirky outsider and i really enjoyed that and that wasn't something i was expecting from this film at all i i have seen i saw a few years ago um an article about something about sort of gaston's behavior to bell um and i thought it was sort of a a, a woke feminist rereading of Beauty and the Beast, and it turns out no, it was just like an accurate representation of what Beauty and the Beast is. It's, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I like how abrasive she is as a character, and how much she, I mean, she, n- nobody likes Gaston, everyone wants Gaston to go away, but she very definitely, she stands up for herself in the same mm. way that, um, I've been watching something else and we're watching lots of things recently because I haven't got anything else to do. Um, but something else I've started watching my wife recently is Bridgerton. And mm-hmm. the central character of that is a young woman. She's I mean, not specified how old she is, but may, maybe 18 or 19. And she will stand up for herself. 
and is the same sort of character. And it felt like Belle was that character only 30 years ago. And it felt like I'm, I'm looking at Bridget and thinking, oh, this is progressive. Isn't she great to have a sort of plucky female character like that? And then you watch Beauty and the Beast and you think, no, actually this was being done. So, yes, I, I really enjoyed that from the start, the way she was presented. Yeah, I think, I think for me, you've hit the nail on the head there a little bit. That I'm sure we'll talk about this more through this mid-season, but Disney films are often presented as uh, the bland of the bland of milk toast movies. Mm. They are they are the establishment, the status quo. They are talking about everyone falling into line, heteronormality, and all that kind of thing. That that's what these films are often portrayed to establish and propagate in in culture. But I do think there is something to be found in these, and in this one particularly, it is about being the outsider. You know, Belle is for want of a better word, she is the traditionally good-looking girl. Mm. She is a Disney princess in every sense of the word. And, but from the second you meet her, she is presented as intelligent and someone who reads and someone who doesn't really care that no one likes her for that. Mm. And she's open and I mean it's it's in song but she's open and honest about how she wants more than this town she has yeah and she wants things to read and to experience and and something greater than living in this normal life um and it's about teaching to read I mean there's a little side interesting thing that I think that the bookshop lets her borrow books I'm like how you're not a library how does that work um but there is a I suppose there is a element of this movie is about two outsiders coming together. That Beast has been hurt by the world, by his own actions, by the way he was raised, and it has come back to bite him, but he is now deeply hurt by the world's reaction to him. Um, and it's about these two outsiders, one physical, one cultural, mm. coming together and finding something, about finding a tenderness beneath that otherwise you know, discarded outsider. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, as you say, it's Gaston is as patriarchal as they come. Uh, him and LeFou, they have this real kind of like, everyone wants to be with you, everyone wants to be, be near you, everyone wants to be you. He is, in many ways, the he's presented physically and in some of his own views as the most heroic of hero characters. In his mind, he is saving a town from a beast that lives nearby in the forest. Yeah. But he can't... So, But the film takes that and goes, actually, like that's where he is. But he's only there because he can't listen. He doesn't understand that other people have agency. That other people have views of their own that might not align to his. So he says, well, I'm going to marry Belle. He doesn't ever consider that she wouldn't want to marry him because he's the hero. Yeah. He is... He is the mainstream, he is the status quo, and he can't see a world in which you don't want that. I mean, he has a a town full of admirers and a town full of sycophants, which doesn't help him much. But just by rejection, like, in the same way Belle and Beast can reject the status quo and reject what is expected of them, Gaston can't. Gaston can't move beyond what he sees the world to be, and 
even at the end, when he's been proven to him that Beast is not a vicious killer, that Beast has feelings and is intelligent and has loved by Belle, he can't move past that. He can't move past that, and he still tries to kill the Beast because, in his mind, the Beast is the Beast. Yeah. And must be slayed by the beautiful and wonderful hero. In that sense, it's like they're... It's like this is two different films. The Gaston thinks he's in a film about the hero who has to slay the beast and win the girl. And the outsiders are in a completely different film. And I'm not saying that in a bad way at all. It's not, I'm, it's not a criticism of the film that it's it falls apart like that. It's, it's really clever the way that they've done that. And the way that Bell and Gaston are following different narratives. Absolutely, it, it's that I think is where this film is stands out. And you know, for me as a kid, it's where I I kind of felt that that it was it was standing up for the others. I will say we're talking a lot about the story. I think this film is also beautiful. Mm. I think the animation in this is stunning from everything from the, the Buster Berkeley inspired dance routines of um, Be Our Guest. Ha! I have written that down. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Buster Berkeley movies are are a thing for me. I love that kind of synchronized dancing, and this is part of that. But always through like the big dance scene, like um, where him and where Beast and Belle go through this ballroom dance scene in the first forays into three D animation for Disney. That they are cell animation like normal, but the room they're in, they're spinning around, is three D, and really works you see I, I looked at that and thought is that 3D it is because I yeah oh, right, I see. and it, re- it for me it really worked it really worked and I think that we talked a lot about with Jungle Book with Jungle Book movies about the characters and the feeling of a world that's lived in mm. um, and this doesn't have that quite as well but it does have some of that that all the small bit parts do feel like whole people that the the wardrobe is a distinct character to the feather duster mm. and there are these they're very small subplots but like um lumiere and feather duster is like this ongoing storyline and there are these little bits here and there that you kind of get the feeling in like the baker and the bookseller have a little bit of character and this world does give the element of feeling like it's lived in. People have distinct personalities that you can't just sum up in one word. I like also the way that... We've um, talked about this as quite progressive in the way that the heroine is presented. I want to talk about the sort of... Some of the... You would think of as throwaway lines because they're buried in the songs, but actually there are things like... Um, I've written them down. We don't like what we don't understand. It's something they sing together as they're walking to the Beast Castle. And you think that is a brilliant comment on that mob mentality. And I know this is years before it, but on sort of online style, quote unquote, lynch mob or pylons, because people do that because they don't understand. They don't like something that they don't understand. So I really, I really enjoyed the way that you get little things buried like that, or not necessarily in the songs. Like it's, it's a throwaway comment that Cosworth makes. He's like, "Oh no, you're not going to make promises you don't intend to keep," and that feels like a comment on the love story trope in the same way that the 
mm. main characters aren't in the same film as Gaston in the conventional love story that Gaston is in. But there's certain comments like that come out. Absolutely. I think that there's, the film works on many levels, and I think that's where sometimes the detractors of Disney films can look at them as being this simpering love story. And that is certainly here. Like there is a like a romantic in sort of the genre set, a romantic story going on here. You know, it's about the two of them gently finding love together, and and that's a lovely beautiful story. But there's also this other story, as you say, going on with like angry townsfolk and burning down a village, and the his her dad being this weird inventor, and there's just a lot more going on with it, and. Mm. I do think that it helps lift it a little bit. Um, and I think this is where the animation style really works for it. It can be as dark as the storming of the castle and the death of Gaston's. It can be as dark as that. And do be our guest. And do the silly scene in which Chip breaks through the um, cellar door. Yeah. The nature of it being animated means you can get away with this, this swings in tone that you wouldn't otherwise from the silly and the fun all the way through to this incredibly dark. Um, and I just think that really works in its favour. Yeah, it surprised me with how varied in tone, again, not a, not a, criticism, not a negative criticism, it, how it was able to switch like that. And I really mm. enjoyed that, the sort of flexibility of tone of that. So, Rob... Are you able to distance yourself from this film slightly in order to provide us some with some recommendations? I am, I am. I'm going to recommend two um, recommendations. So the first one, um, oddly enough, is Beauty and the Beast. So this obviously is a fairy tale that's been made a lot over the years. There are many versions of this. We are going to be looking at next week the actual Disney remake of it, but there are many other people who've made this movie or told this story. Um, and I want to talk about one from 1946 um, from French filmmaker uh, Jean Cocteau. Um, he's telling the story of it. He is much more of a straight period piece. Um, it isn't the sort of funniness and the songs that uh, the one we're watching has, but it is an absolute classic of French cinema. Um, I honestly don't know where you can find it in the UK, um, but it helps set up a lot of the uh, tropes we see through Beauty and the Beast down throughout the years, and it's a beautifully well-made film. My second recommendation um, is a very, very different film. Um, so Lumiere, who's my favourite character, I love Lumiere, um, is, very, is voiced by um, an actor called Jerry Orbach, um, who's done a lot of things over the years and an awful lot of credits. Um, a lot of Law and Order recently, apparently. Um, but he did appear in... A film from I think literally a year a year later, um, he popped up um, as a a doctor in the nineteen ninety two film Universal Soldier, which is a Dolph Lundgren and Jean Claude Van Damme action movie. Um, which my brother, my older brother, took great delight in showing me when I was far too young to watch it um, yeah. because it's an eighteen and quite violent, um, but. It's a really good film. Um, and a lot of these kind of action movies are just kind of forgotten these days. Um, the, 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 the sort of the grist in the mill of, of Hollywood. Um, but this one, the sequels, not so much. 
But the original Universe Soldier is a very good action movie of that kind of early 90s feel with Van Damme and Ludgren. And I thought it would be a fun, interesting uh, recommendation following the nice, family-friendly family friendly Beauty and the Beast. It's an interesting person. <laughs> what about you, Sam? Well, I have one more family-friendly and then one slightly upgrade. Not going as far as Universal Soldier. So the first one is um, the delectable Angela Lansbury, um, who, after her turn as Mrs. Potts, well, not actually before, sorry, before her turn as Mrs. Potts, 20 years before, um, she was in Bedknobs and Broomsticks, um, which always slightly annoys me because it's based on a book called Bed Knob and Broomstick and I just every time I hear it I wonder why they turned into a plural it doesn't seem to be a good reason but otherwise it's a very good film it's a very enjoyable film it's got David Tomlinson also in Mary Poppins um, not quite up to Mary Poppins in quality but still very good and still one that I mean not in my era but it got replayed a lot in my house in the 80s and 90s. And my second recommendation is from Chip Bradley Pierce, um, who a few years after um, this, another child acting performance, although he was getting on for a teenager when he did this, he was in Jumanji, um, the Robin Williams Jumanji from 1995. Um, he was the younger brother in this and this is a I believe we may have seen this film together we certainly have have seen it together um, in the late 90s Um, and yes it was very enjoyable I haven't seen the sequel but you tell me it's good Um, the sort of the, the reboot of it so at some point I will get around to watching that but at the moment, the original Jumanji and Bedknobs and Broomsticks. Excellent choices all round. Well, guys, we are coming back in two weeks' time with, once again, Beauty and the Beast. This time we're looking at the 2017 remake starring Emma Watson and uh, Luke Evans, directed by Bill Condon. Condon? Condon. Um, till then, guys, you can find both of us online at Prestige Podcast. You can get hold of me by email, prestigefilmpodcast at gmail.com. And you can find me at Kaiju FM. And we'll be back here, guys, in two weeks.